Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about creating a discipleship process from scratch. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Glad you guys are Boom. with us. Thanks for listening. Mm. Thanks for subscribing. Yep. Thanks for sharing. Wow. Thanks for liking. Yes. Thanks for favoriting. Yep. Thanks You've covered it all. For retweeting. Yeah. And what's the new Twitter parlor? Have you heard of this? No. This is the this is the the place that's gonna retake t- or overtake Twitter. It's called Parlor. Well, let's hope it's less angry than Twitter. Well, the idea is they don't they don't censor oh, content, so it that's will be more angry than Twitter. I think so. Yeah, but anyway, well, it's good to see your face, Jared. I know uh, you had a scary adventure yesterday, and we oh almost my. lost you and your family. And I'm not going to say it would have been your fault, but that is what I'm saying because you recommended this adventure to us. I recommended a very safe environment to take the family for a nice casual walk. Your adventurous spirit turned it into an episode of. Survivor man, Jack's, <laughs> his two kids, his wife, and his dying dog <laughs> through, through the woods. All of what you just described is an accurate <laughs> picture of what happened yesterday. You, yeah, yeah, you, you and your family had gone to this nature um, park with trails. Yep. N- not too far from where we both live. And you recommended it to us. And we said, you know what? It's a Sunday afternoon. Let's get the family out. Let's do something fun. Let's have a little adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went out and we started off and everything was wonderful. And before we knew it, we found ourselves on a 10K trail, which we had failed to realize is over seven miles long. And uh, we were following along, and next thing you know, we were out in the middle of the woods. We didn't know where we were. We didn't know how to get back. And we started turning on each other. The Barry family, you know, we, we had a momentary collapse, but we rebounded. And, and after many attacks, finally made our way out. <laughs> Lots of foraging. Yeah, lots of drawing of straws to see who would be uh, consumed first. If yep. you guys got stuck out there, that's true. Yeah, a lot of. Uh, I did make a few jokes about having to camp out overnight, and my kids did not like those. Really? But yeah, they got a little worried because it's not because you're not prepared for it. Like, do they like the idea of camping, or they just don't like camping when there's no tents? Well, they like camping, but they've never really done any serious camping. Right. Their they camping like, has been like in a cabin. Yeah, or in their backyard. <laughs> yeah, they like <laughs> the idea of it, but yeah. Well, well, listen, we're glad you're here because otherwise we wouldn't be able to record. Yes. And, uh, it's good. Safe to, and sound. We walked over seven and a half miles. Wow. So. A lot of calories burned. Yep. And I made up for it with eating some ice cream after that. There so. you go. Reward yeah. yourself. Treat yeah. yourself. Treat yourself. <laughs> well, we're going to treat ourselves today because uh, we're excited to jump back in and talk about um, a topic that we're both passionate about um, in, in one way or another. We're both kind of living it right now and going through it and you're, you by leading a church and um, and you know, we're, we recognize a lot of times we talk on this podcast about discipleship and the need to create a discipleship strategy, a discipleship process. We realize that there may be people out there who, um, maybe you've stepped into a new, uh, situation or a new leadership opportunity in a church and, you, and a discipleship process does not exist. And you're like, I'm not sure where to start. Or maybe you've been, you've been doing it for a while and you realize I'm not really making disciples, but I don't know where to start. Maybe you feel like I did lost, lost in the woods. You're lost like David feels lost uh, in the sporting good workout section of Dick's Sporting Goods store. You're lost. You don't know what you're doing there. Today, we are going to help you because today we're going to talk about how to start a discipleship strategy 
from scratch. Scratch. Woo. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready, ready. All right. Let's dive in. Let's get into this, starting to establish yeah. strategy from scratch. Well, I think in the local church setting, it starts with having a overwhelming sort of um, highly owned um, sense of mission that's connected to making disciples, right? So strategy ultimately exists to help us accomplish the mission that God's given us to do, right? Yeah. So if you have a strategy that's disconnected from a mission, it's just wasted energy. And if you have a mission without strategy, it's just wishful thinking. And so um, it starts by asking yourself, does our church truly believe from the leadership from the top to the bottom, and do we regularly talk about and communicate that we exist primarily, obviously, to glorify God, but how do we glorify God? By making disciples. And what do you think, you know, most churches, most pastors, most leaders would agree, yes, we're here to make disciples. What other missions, I don't want to call them counterfeit missions because they could be important and valuable, but they shouldn't be primary. What are some other missions that you think churches can get distracted by that can possibly um, sabotage this whole disciple-making strategy right from the start simply because they don't have the right mission? Yeah, I think that I think some of the temptation, even now that we live in a social media age, a little bit of a celebrity pastor age, um, some of the, the things you can start chasing is, of course, attendance. You know, the old saying like nickels and noses, how much money we're getting an offering and then how many people are in the seats. But I think there's also this temptation now because of the celebrity pastor of like, I want to have a bigger church, a bigger platform. Mm. I want people to know who I am. Um, I want to have the the worship team that's recording music albums on the side because that's kind of now the new thing for all the churches. Like, it's very easy, I think, um, for pastors to get sidetracked into even subconsciously chasing some of those things mm-hmm. and dreaming about some of those things, which I'm not saying each one each one of those is bad in its own sense, but when you start chasing them, it's bad. Yeah, I agree. And you know what your mission is simply by thinking about where all your energy goes, right? And what all your systems are set up to deliver. And so uh, I don't want to bog down here because the point is not mission of this this episode is not about missions, it's about strategy, but we have to start there because if you don't have the right mission, then the strategy won't be um, won't complement the won't complement that. So um, I think uh, one of the resources, just to kind of start by mentioning a book that will help people take a next step beyond this podcast. One of the resources that helped me the most of this was a book called Simple Church by uh, yeah. er, written by Tom Renier and Eric Geiger. It's been around for quite a while. There's also Simple Student Ministry yep. uh, if you're in youth ministry. And their whole, the whole premise of the book is that if we exist to make disciples, everything we should do as a church should uh, head in that direction in a really laser-like focus. And they talk about their sort of four-step process of clarity, movement, alignment, and focus. And so um, clarity, what are we doing? What do we exist to do? Movement, is there actual movement in for people in our church you know, if, if it's a discipleship strategy or a discipleship pathway, then people should be moving through something and not stagnant, right? So if all you offer is a, is a Sunday morning service that people come to a day, week after week after week, but there's no next steps for them, then there's not movement. So another way of thinking movement is what are your next steps? And then alignment, are your next steps aligned, right? Or are you asking people to jump from this to that one, but there's not really like a natural next step. You know, the whole idea like you got to crawl before you walk, you got to walk before you run. Is there a alignment of these steps? And then 
the last one of focus is the hardest one because this is when you start saying, what are we doing now that we need to stop doing in order to really have a discipleship pathway or discipleship strategy that is clear, clearly communicated, clearly understood. And we will talk a little bit about it in a moment, what, what we're doing at Trinity to try to make it clear um, that is aligned, that so for movement, focus is that necessary final step, which is sort of like, okay, there's certain things we've been doing and they're not bad. They're good. Maybe they're even still successful by some metrics. But if our primary goal is to make disciples, they're actually not a part of that pathway. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So um, for you, David, starting off, because you, like you said, you, uh, you've been, you know, senior pastor now for a, a little over two years, mm-hmm. right? Yep, two and a half years. Two about. and a half years. Um, so you, um, you've, you've jumped in. Now, you, you had a great foundation. Obviously, yep. your parents planted the church. Um, but I know you kind of came in with a, uh, a new vision and sense of what does it look like to re, um, refocus or restart um, mm-hmm. a, a new discipleship strategy for us as a church. And you've started, you started with some, to use your words, low-hanging fruit. And now you've kind of worked yourself through and you're, I don't know if you would call this the final phase of the process because you're always tweaking and stuff, but I know you're, so what, for you, what was the start? Like what, if someone's like, where do I even begin? What for you was that? Yeah. Well, I think you have to get the right stakeholders at the table, you know, to use a business world term, you got to get the leaders, you got to get the influencers and and whenever you want to launch something significant, that's going to be a major part of the culture of your church uh, for years to come. You don't want to create that. This is my opinion, but you don't want to create that in a bubble, right? You don't want to be Moses going up the mountain, getting the word, coming down and delivering it to the people. Because what people help create, they tend to support. And so it started with a lot of ongoing. Well, first off, I had our leadership team read through Simple Church and some other resources just to create some common language. Um, And then we began to meet regularly and talk strategically about why we exist and what is our vision and what is our mission and what are our values? And then once we clarified those things, okay, so if our mission is making disciples, how are we going to go about doing this? And one of the very first things that we did is we did an exercise where we, we made two lists. One list was what is everything our church does right now? So every program, every ministry, every event, every gathering. And we listed them all out on this huge sheet of paper. And for a lot of churches, that's a pretty long list. Yeah. Um, and then we made another list, which was basically, what are some of the outcomes that we would like to see in the life of a disciple? So when we think of a disciple, what does a disciple look like? Because if you don't know what the final product, so to speak, looks like, then you don't know how to build it, right? And so we took the first list, which was here's everything we do, and uh, we began to look at everything we, we did and begin uh, everything that we do, and we began to think through the lens of, is this moving people forward? Where does it fit in a potential pathway? Uh, and so we were having simultaneous conversations about a pathway, about the current programs we exist, we offer, and but also what do we want people to look like at the end? And if we want people to be uh, generous uh, givers, or if we want people to, to live on mission, what are some of the things we need to think about, both from a communication standpoint, from a preaching standpoint, from a discipleship standpoint? So we were having a, a sort of multiple conversations at the same time, all to sort of stir up the thinking and to redirect the focus towards making disciples. Yeah, what I what I hear you saying, and also also because I was a I got to kind of be on the sidelines and watch you do this. Yeah, later on we brought in some 
stakeholders from even outside of the um, positional leadership, people who we thought either had influence or had insight, and we opened the circle up a little bit more, um, which I think also is something you need to do in this process, is, is not keep the circle too tight, but once you have some clarity on some things that you don't, if you have too many people right off the bat, it's hard to move forward with any speed, right? Right. So you start a little bit, um, you start with a little bit of a tight circle, but then you start expanding, start expanding. But before you roll it out, you need to have kind of an in-between gathering where you start to pull in other voices, people who have a different perspective, who aren't in official leadership capacities, but uh, have a useful perspective. So that's when you jumped in with right. some other people. I've not been allowed to have any sort of significant leadership role at the church. but Right. Well, that's just because of character issues. <laughs> Well, what I've seen, like what I've seen you do really well, and I think this is a great place for people who are going, "How do I start?" Is you started with language, yeah. You crafted language well. How you wanted to talk about discipleship, you started. You started pounding the idea of discipleship and mission from the pulpit every Sunday, yeah. From emails, whatever. Whenever you were saying, you were saying, "This is who we are. This is what we want to do." Even even though maybe we're not seeing it yet, this is where we're going. Yeah. And that takes a long time, and it's but it's so important. That's one of the ways that you started strong, because um, people start to go, "Well, he's it, he's talking different, like he's using different words, and he's being consistent about the usage of these words." They pick up, you know. Yeah, because church people have a preconceived idea of what discipleship is, right? Yeah. So you talk about discipleship, people think of a, like an eight-week class that they take or a Sunday school, um, something like that. And that can all be part of a discipleship strategy, but that is not, of course, in and of itself discipleship. And so one of the big things we did is we brought clarity to the definition of discipleship. And uh, so if you go to our website, if you hear me preach on discipleship, I'll say discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of our lives, changing what we love and how we live. So that's kind of, we're trying to say discipleship is not signing up for a class. That can be part of the strategy of becoming a disciple, but that is in and of itself not discipleship. Right. Discipleship is not just one-on-one with a mentor, although that can be part of it. Discipleship is not just coming to church on Sundays, although that can be part of it. But discipleship is actually, it's broader, it's bigger, it reaches further. It's moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel, which speaks of the, the necessity for heart transformation, gospel transformation, moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of life, which which sort of speaks to the idea, like, we're not just talking about your Sunday morning attendance. Right. Like this, where your work, your play, your family, your home, your recreation, discipleship should inform all of that, changing what we love and how we live. And that order matters because how we live always flows out of what we love. Yeah. So you start with the language, and then the, the next thing I saw you do, and you, you touched on this, is you started to try to generate buy-in and excitement. And um, part of that was you casting vision. But what I think is, and this is a pivotal part and a pivotal step, is oftentimes when you're trying to create something that doesn't exist, it's hard to give people people a picture of what it could be mm. because they don't there's it's not happening mm-hmm. so what you did and you kind of described this as you brought in outside voices in a couple of ways books so people got to read about other churches um, you brought in other other voices other um, other people that were maybe um, not directly part of leadership but had different experiences and one of the things that we did um, when I was a young adult pastor before transitioning the role I'm in now is we were trying to start this from scratch, and I realized nobody, I didn't have anybody who had been made a disciple in the way that we wanted to do it. Hmm. So we had to give them a, a picture, a vision of what it would look like. And so we took 
we took three or four core leaders and we actually did a trip to a Chi Alpha group in Texas who I knew was crushing it and, and in a lot of ways looked how I wanted to look. Yeah. And we spent a week there and they came back. They had a vision of what it could be and their, their passion, their excitement was so high. And so I think that's when you're trying to create buy-in and passion for what it could be, it's, it can be trickier than you think because you just saying, here's what it could be, may work, but it also may not. Sometimes you've got you've to show them a picture. You've got to bring in somebody else or you've got to take them somewhere else where they can. Maybe it's another church, another group. It's another uh, uh, pastor who's doing an incredible job and allow them to see what it could look like in their context. Yeah, that's great. As you were talking, I was thinking like, People don't fall in love with processes for the most part. There are people, obviously, who geek out on that stuff. But people don't fall in love with processes, and they don't fall in love with a pathway. People love people, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's important. If you want to lead people through owning and being excited about a a discipleship pathway, keep bringing them back to this is about people. And even along the way, every now and then pause and say, I want you to think of someone in your life right now who's far from God. And think about what it would be like in your own heart to watch them go through this pathway and to go from being far from God to a fully committed follower of Jesus to see the gospel at work in every area of their life and give them those moments to dream about that because it takes it from being sort of artificial and just like we're just creating this sort of like strategy on paper to no, this is about people being rescued, brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But once God has um, reached them in that way through whatever we've been able to do, uh, what is our responsibility? Jesus yeah. gave us to disciple them. Right. So what are we going to do? So yeah, I think I love what you said about giving them a vision for what it can look like. And and so for us, when we got to this step, we've used some language. We've created some buy-in. We're talking about it in our sermons. I'm using language in my sermons that's going to be a big part of our pathway language before anybody knows the pathway. Like it's sort of like right. le- leaking the language. Yeah. Like I'm trying to p- almost like put a bug in people's ears so when they hear a phrase. When we actually put the pathway out, which we were actually supposed to do this spring, but COVID-19 delayed everything. And so now we're looking to relaunch either this fall or even possibly as late as next spring again, just because we want to be closer to full strength. It's such a big part of the future of our church. Um, But I started to use some of our language. And so for us, we began to think through what is our pathway? What do we want for people? The pathway has to be simple and clear. We're not talking about a 10-step pathway. Uh, and we're, we're talking about something that can be clear, memorable, seen, remembered, uh, celebrated. And so for us, we just talked about this pathway of come and see Jesus. Like we're like, what do we want for people? You know, as, as we looked at that list of discipleship outcomes, one of the things on the list, of course, was conversion. But even before conversion, it was meaningful relationship with believers. Yeah. Um, and so we said, okay, if this is a part of the discipleship pathway, uh, what step, you know, how do we create a step to sort of facilitate that outcome? And so for us, that first step in this pathway, um, it's less of a pathway and more actually like a circle, but um, is come and see Jesus. So we want to create environments that help people come and see Jesus in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our lives, and also uh, in our church. And so for us, our our most uh, focused environment for the come and see Jesus step of our discipleship pathway is Sunday morning. We do other things like dinner parties, and we ask, we encourage people to live on mission. But as far as what we do, it's really like a come and see Jesus Sunday morning. Then our next step is connect and be you. We just believe that God created us in a way that we can't even fully be ourselves outside of community. So connect and be you. For us, a lot of that is grow groups. 
uh, connecting in smaller groups for growing, but also serve groups, you know, getting on teams and serving. That's really that second step of the pathway. And then the third big step in the pathway is commit and lead others. And this is not leadership with a title. This is not leadership of a ministry. This is the ability to disciple people one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three organic relationships, going out, finding, feeding, and fighting for people and making disciples. So come and see Jesus, connect and be you, commit and lead others. And then I'll say this, between each of those three steps is a little training, a little course that we're asking everybody to take. So between come and see Jesus and connect and be you, we do what's called Discover Trinity. Sort of like in old school terms is a membership class, but it's more than that because you don't have to become a member after you take the class. It's more about how do you move from being a come and see Jesus to a connect and be you. And then between connect and be you and commit to lead others, there's a whole Discover Discipleship training that's currently being developed. I'm working on it. It'll be more intensive than the Discover Trinity class. It'd be like an eight-week class, really intensive, training people on how to make disciples in all of life. So I just said a lot, but that's like, that's kind of our pathway that we've come to at this point. Well, so let's break it down in a simple, in a more simplistic, like here's, here's what you just said is, you started with the vision. Well, you start with your mission. Then you start to create language. After language, you start to you start to um, build your team, your start team, and then build excitement, passion, vision for what it could be. Yeah. Now you're crafting your. Um, there's a word you used. You're you're crafting your pathway, maybe yeah. your discipleship pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so that's the phase that you just described, which yeah. takes some work. I know you put tons this of energy been, in. This has been two years. Two years. Lots of people are inputting yeah. into that process. But you're creating what does the pathway look like to move somebody from a non believer in a disciple making relationship to a disciple maker themselves? Yeah. That's what you just described. And you're, I know you're not saying that that should be the pathway everybody uses because you have to know your own context. But you do need to create a pathway that's, and you use some words like simple, clear. Clear. Um, Can any of your leaders communicate it? (laughs) You know what I mean? Can someone who goes through it, everybody who goes through it should know. Yeah. And and I think the idea of a cyclical, like you talk about a circle that basically once you go through it, you're now helping other people go through it. So come and lead others. What? To come in, or sorry, commit to lead others to come and see Jesus. Right. So you're like, when we're going to eventually, you know, we talk about how clear and communicated it needs to be. Eventually there's going to be a huge, a huge discipleship pathway um, graphic on our main wall in our lobby. And uh, it's actually already done. It's just we're waiting for it to be installed. Again, we're delaying because of COVID. But it's this big circle made out of three arrows that all point to each other, if you can envision it. And one arrow says, come and see Jesus. And the other one says, connect and be you. And the third one says, commit to lead others. And they all lead into each other. And the, the, connect, uh, the commit to lead others one leads right back into the come and see Jesus. And so let's say, Jared, you're like, you're obviously, personally, you're beyond the come and see Jesus step. Not in the fact that you don't need to continue to come and see Jesus weekly, but in the sense of a, like, you're already committing and leading others. But that's where you might be at in your journey. But you're connected with people at all different steps in the discipleship pathway sure you're taking ownership for people in all different places and you're serving alongside people in all different places so all of us will find ourselves in different places of this pathway based on the relationships that we have and hopefully we're all in in disciple making relationships where we have people that are in each one of those pathways because people 
progress at a yeah. different rate. Yeah, absolutely. So the cool thing about what you're describing is, and certainly anybody listening could do this themselves, is anybody who walks in that church that's making disciples could look at that graphic and go, oh, I know John, he's in he's in phase one, or uh, Sandy's in phase two. Like they, they know where the people are at in their in their journey and they know what they're working towards. Like, here's my next goal for this person, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, that's more, yeah, that's true. And that's something that's really helpful if you're discipling somebody to think like, okay, they've started coming on Sunday mornings. They've responded to the gospel, man. I really would let's, let's ask them about taking the next step of taking the discover Trinity class so they can connect and, you know, go to the connect and be you. We won't talk that way, obviously, publicly to, you know we right. won't say like hey all the phase one people raise your hand <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. it's nothing like that it's much more organic than that but it does provide us clarity with as, as it relates to movement and for us it was really important to um think beyond because so phase two right if, if that's what we're gonna call it connect and be you that's where they're fully assimilated and serving on ministry teams and in grow groups you know and in some churches i'm not saying this is right or wrong that sort of is the final right step of discipleship for us, we felt like there's a danger in stopping there because that's all happening primarily within the walls of the church. And it's also may not be as much discipleship as it is assimilation and volunteerism. Right. You can assimilate people and give them to volunteer without actually discipling them. Yeah. Now, assimilation and volunteering can be a useful part of discipleship. I 100% believe that. So for us, that's why we thought, okay, what's after that, so to speak, as far as, and that's disciples making disciples, even if there was no church. Yep. No programs, no serve teams, no girl groups. I'm still going to find neighbors. I'm going to have gospel friendships, gospel conversations. I'm going to disciple them to Jesus. I'm going to disciple them in Jesus. And that's that final, like, and, and we've started to, I've started to do this third step in a sort of beta trial with some men in our church. Um, I have kind of two so things going. Th- th- would, you just, would you say that the next step after crafting the pathway is to implement the pathway, which is kind of like yeah. what you're starting to do now? Yes. And then sometimes, well, and somewhere between ca- crafting and implementing, you got to identify where do your existing programs and events fit. Fit in with. And if they right. don't fit anywhere, then it's the hard work of saying, maybe we need to stop doing this, right? Yeah. Which I know that's a whole other podcast or three podcasts. That's That's <laughs> hard to do. So, yes. I, after you've crafted that pathway, then look at all the things you're offering and say, where does it fit in the pathway? In the simple church model, their suggestion is don't offer three or four programs for one step. That's too many different options. Duplicating like, efforts. Yeah, be simple and be clear. And so, yeah, craft the craft the language, cra- uh, get the buy-in, build the team, uh, communicate over and over, and then put the pathway together. Then start to look at your programs. Where do they fit in the pathway? And then you're going to find some gaps and you're going to find some places where there's stuff that's not fruitful. So we found gaps immediately. We didn't have anything to move people from Connect and BU to Commit and Lead Others. That's what I'm trying to create right now, like an eight-week course. And really, we didn't have anything for con- for Commit to Lead Others um, other than just people who were doing it sort of on their own without any sort of coaching or leadership. Yeah. So that's where I've started to um, pour into six or seven men in our church who are who are already mature believers, and we're going through a book called Gospel Coach, and we're talking a lot about one-on-one discipleship, 
how do you go pursue people? We're beginning to identify men in our church and men in our lives who God's put on our heart for discipleship. And so we're trying to roll it out with these men. You're giving them practical challenges? Yeah. Where they've like got to if, try yeah, stuff? Before we meet again, uh, I want you to have, you know, go out and have a conversation with somebody at your workplace and use some of these gospel-type questions to shape the conversation as God gives the opportunity. Don't, like, go force it, but right. look for the opportunity and identify men in the church who you already have friendship with that you think, man, if God opens that door, I want to I want to fight for them. I want to help them grow. And so we're trying to create a multiplication model where men and women are discipling men and women who then begin to disciple others, who then begin to disciple others. Yep. And that becomes sort of the backbone of, of our church. And it's off the grid a little bit because we're not necessarily yeah. doing a program for this. We're training people up. There will be high accountability and high coaching, but low structure, so to speak. Uh, not something that will be overly communicated from the pulpit. Like, hey, if you want to sign up for one of these groups, we're not going that direction. Right. We're going the direction of we were raising up men and women who can go and find people on their own, whether they're new people in the church, and go to begin discipling them. Yeah, and what's what's cool about that, just to, just to give you a, like a real life, what this looks like on a Sunday morning, and certainly these people are making disciples outside of just those, but... You would imagine, let's say you've got 10 people who have gone through this process, right, and they're out now um, in the third phase that you described. They're trying to make disciples. Well, on a Sunday morning, part of their training is go find new people who are disconnected and love on them, welcome them, greet them, invite them to whatever you're doing. You're not announcing from the stage, hey, if you're new today, you're going to have someone from the church who is a disciple maker yeah. come up and say hi to you and invite you to their house. But guess what? That is going to happen. Yeah. And the ideally. more Ideally, the more people that are moving through that phase, the more people are doing that. And so mm-hmm. now all of a sudden it becomes your built-in, like, welcome, greeting, follow-up. Like, you, you don't have to um, – but it's not something you announce. It's not something you're putting little badges on them or, mm-hmm. or uniforms or whatever, but it's just happening organically. People are getting connected. People are – Yeah, and the people, people who, and the people who, are, who have been trained to commit to lead others, they're, they're getting a lot of – relational oversight so they're not just like free agents running around doing their own thing like there's right. a lot of ongoing relationship behind the scenes uh the other thing i um i was going to say about this is that uh oh no i'm blanking on what i was going to say you're getting older it's fine well, it you know, i'm 42 this year and all there's there's one caveat i wanted to add to what you were saying about um the way we're going to do this oh yes ideally Anyone new in the church has somebody come up to them and start in, uh, engaging them relationally. We realize that doesn't always happen, right? Yeah. Especially as the church grows. So we are creating uh, some safety net environments. So we do these things called dinner parties with the pastor. The last Sunday night of every month, not right now, but normal times, uh, my wife and I open up our home, and we invite anyone who's new over for dinner. There is a limit because our house isn't huge, so you got to sign up. But in that environment, we also will invite these people who have been trained to commit and lead others. So we're creating this environment where just in case somebody, so to speak, slipped through the cracks yep. and nobody is connected with him, we are creating some environments that we call safety net, safety net environments to make sure everybody is getting connected with somebody. Yeah, I love that. So if you're listening and you're, you're saying, okay, how do I get started? Um, I, we've kind of laid out kind of four simple steps, maybe five, but start with the, start with the mission. Like what's the mission? Um, defining your language, so yep. then create language around that. What's mm-hmm. a disciple look like? Um, start using that language, preaching, teaching, and the, the, you know, don't don't 
try to rush through this. Take your time. Mm-hmm. The next thing would be to create the um, your kind of startup team. Mm-hmm. So find your core leaders, the buy-in. the buy-in, create vision for them, get them excited about it, show them what it could look like, give them a vision. The next thing is to create your pathway. What is it going to look like? How do you move people from unbelief in the gospel to belief in every area of their life where they're then making disciples? Mm-hmm. Make it simple. Make it clear. Make it rememberable. And then the, the last part would be impl- start to implement it. And, yeah. and one of the things I think is so key to this last part is start small. Do mm. not feel overwhelmed that you have to try to get every person in your church. In fact, don't do that. It will be a disaster. You're yeah. starting right now with like seven guys, right? Yeah. Start small. When I started, it was with three people. One girl, one guy, or one girl, two guys. That's it. Mm-hmm. If you start small, the exponential growth will come. Yeah. If you a, try to rush it, it'll backfire. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Right. Think 30 years, not not 30 days. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So now you don't have to stress anymore. I think we've solved the problem. <laughs> of course, we've not implemented this yet. Well, no. This so, is all theory. Yeah. Check back in a year, and, and I'll tell you everything we did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next uh, podcast. It, it's been a good process, and I feel good about it. I'm excited to get it rolling, and I'm a little bummed that COVID has caused us to have a little bit of a delay, but it's all in God's timing, so yeah. we're excited. All right. Well, we're a couple minutes over than we normally do, but that's okay because um, you know, 90% of the audience has actually just fast-forwarded to this last part, which is a little portion we call David's Eats, mm-hmm. where we not only help you become better leaders, but also better eaters. And uh, David may not know his way around a, uh, a gym, but he does know his way around the fridge. <laughs> and so, David, what's the best thing that you have eaten all week? The best thing that I have eaten all week? Well, um, I'm going to give a little shout-out to a local Syracuse place. I don't know if we've done this before. And they have locations all over New York now and even, I think, outside New York. McDonald's? Little, yeah, a little place maybe you heard of. It's got a clown as a mascot, creepy little <laughs> redheaded clown. No, there's a place in Syracuse called Dinosaur Barbecue. Oh, um, yeah. Which has, you know, you wouldn't think of upstate New York as a great barbecue place. I know all you people listening in the south are already turned me off here. But uh, I'm telling you, I've eaten barbecue all over the country. And Dinosaur, Dinosaur is kind of Carolina style, so a little bit more like... Uh, vinegar barbecue sauce which I really like but um, you know we ordered from there recently got some ribs some brisket I love their brisket the brisket brisket comes with some jalapenos on top of it their sides their beans their um, mac and cheese mac and cheese I like their tomato cucumber salad because I need a little acid you know with my uh, fatty meats so I'll give a shout out to dinosaur I have been trying to watch what I've been eating recently so this was a couple weeks ago yeah. This past week or two weeks, I haven't eaten much good because I'm not. I'm trying to be careful. Yeah, dinosaur barbecue. Check it out if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everybody. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>